Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17 as we continue to work through uh, our Lord's Prayer, or sometimes called the High Priestly Prayer, as uh, Christ prays uh, with His disciples before that uh, moment of His arrest. As you're turning there, uh, I want to remind you in the bulletin, you find a connection card. If you're a guest, we're especially glad to have you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Uh, if you'd fill out the information on that connection card, put it in the offering plate when it comes by at the end of the service, we'd love to know that you were here. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love to send you a little gift to let you know how much we appreciate you being here. And there's also, if you uh, have a prayer request, anyone here uh, who might have a prayer request or something the pastors need to know about for the coming week, that's a great way uh, to communicate with us. John chapter 17. We'll begin reading in verse 6. It says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you get, have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the, word, uh, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as... I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I want to start off with an illustration that will lose anyone that's younger than me. But let's go for it. Um, Back when I was a kid, we had what was called landlines. Okay, it was a phone line attached to the wall in your house. And if you, if that sounds archaic, then let me tell you, when you lived out in the country, you might have what's called a party line, which means multiple houses were on that one line. Now, the great benefit as a kid was that we had teenage girls that lived next near us that were sharing our party line, so me and my brother could eavesdrop on them and their friends, which was magnificent entertainment when you lived in the country, you didn't have cable or anything else to do. 
And so we had a process, because you had to be tricky with it. Because you'd have a couple of phones in your house, again, attached to the wall, and you would, we would take the receiver and unscrew the receiver that you talked into and get the little thing, the little speaker mic thing out of it. Now, I'm, I feel like I'm 100 years old right now <laughs> describing this. But you would get that out. And then, then, one, uh, then I would be at one phone, my brother would be at the other, my older brother, who was probably, this was all his, probably his mastermind. And we would pick up the phone at the same time and go, and, and then the person that still had the receiver attached to it would go, oh, I'm sorry, and then hang up, click. But then the other phone's still on there, listening. And so we would eavesdrop into these conversations. And I can't remember anything interesting ever happened. I can't. I remember us doing that. I don't remember anything interesting. But do y'all know that the most interesting and amazing conversation that I believe has ever taken place on this earth is right there for us to eavesdrop on. This amazing conversation that Jesus Christ has with His Father in that last moment before He's arrested and begins making His way to the cross. And it appears that even the disciples that were there with Him got to eavesdrop on this conversation. What What an opportunity to see Christ's heart as he prayed for his disciples. You can break down this prayer really into three parts. The part that Brother Josh preached on last week, the first six, first five verses, is, is Jesus praying for himself. The part we're looking at this morning is Jesus praying for his disciples, more specifically. Uh, and then the final part of the prayer is him praying for all believers that would believe in the gospel and so let's look at what Jesus prayed for his disciples. I, and I think you can summarize it throughout this prayer for his disciples. A couple things keep coming up. Their relationship with the world and their relationship with his word. It's just repeated often in there. It's, and so I want us to look at the fact that Jesus prays that though his disciples will be in the world, that they will be men who are of the word so first let's look at the relationship his disciples are to have with the world see jesus prays for his disciples as they remain in the world first thing i want to notice is that we are given out of the world we are given out of the world jesus prays in verse six i have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world we are pulled out of the world by the father and then we're given to christ and we belong to both of them our origin is with the rebellion that is our origin folks we come from the rebellious world that was against god and continues to be against god we all once walked to the pattern of this world We were totally undeserving of being a gift from the Father to the Son to be a possession. You know, whether, whether or not you were saved when you were 30 and dealing meth, or whether you were saved when you were 10 when you were stealing cookies from the cookie jar, 
We all were part of the rebellion that, that was against God that deserved damnation. Folks, let us realize that the world we're trying to reach is a world that we once belonged to. Ephesians 2-3, among whom we all once, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Had the Father not chosen us, we certainly would not have chosen Him. We owe our escape from the world to God's grace and not our own effort. And if that be true, then how can we look down on those who remain in the world? How can we say, well, I'm so much better than them because I'm no longer like that. I belong to God. How can we possibly look down on them when we realize that it is it is of grace that we were pulled out of that world by the Father. Let us proclaim, let's not us talk down to them and look down upon them, but let us proclaim to, the, proclaim to them the way, the truth, and the life and call them to the same escape that we so graciously receive from the Father. We see also that we are to remain together as we are in the world. Jesus prays in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are one. Here Jesus asks His Father to keep them in His name, but to, to also to keep them one. And not just one in a generic sense of, hey, get along. He says, make them one as I and you are one. Talking about the oneness that He shares with the Father is the same kind of oneness we are to share on this earth. A oneness like no other. And He's really going to unpack this more at the end of the prayer, so we're going to come back and talk more about this oneness next week. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But think about, think about the, the cost of a civil war. Right, and, and just our nation had a civil war and just the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of men who died because of that. And think about the world wars, okay? Especially World War II. Imagine our nation, the, the, the men, the number of men lost in that world war. Now imagine, imagine if both those wars were being fought at the same time. Imagine if you had a civil war war and a world war you would be annihilated you wouldn't have a chance to survive that because we know you can't fight on two fronts from within and from without those who are united under the name of christ are fighting a difficult war with the world. We're trying to proclaim Christ to the world. We're trying to fight against Satan in the world. And, and can you imagine if we are just constantly fighting among ourselves? Just imagine how useless we are. I think this speaks of oneness that should exist in the church. You, you show me a church full of 
inner turmoil, and I'll show you a church making zero impact on the kingdom. Let us be a church that is one as the Father and the Son are one. And let us also have, not just among our church have oneness, but among the people of God, among the greater body of Christ. Let us realize that churches, we should desire churches that preach the gospel and love the Bible and, and, and speak the truth, man, we should want them to grow. In our, in our town and around the world, we should want to see those churches grow for the kingdom. We are, in a way, one with them because they, are, they love the gospel that we love. Next, we see that we are kept by God in the world. Jesus prays in verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Jesus tells, his, tells the Father, I'm about to come out of the world. But my disciples, they're, they're staying put. They're going to they're gonna be here. And Jesus is about to suffer His final suffering on the cross. And then He is going back to glory. But the disciples' suffering, it hadn't even got started yet. So He asked the Father to please keep His men and to keep them in His Father's name. In verse 12, Jesus tells the Father, while they are, have been with Me, I've kept them. He then points out, hey, the only, I've only lost one, and we knew that was going to happen. That was according to plan. That was according to Scriptures. And so, as far as if God intends to keep His disciples, if Christ intends to keep them, He has a, a perfect 100% record. And He will continue to have that record with all those who are brought under Him. How safe are the disciples of Christ. When we become His, we are protected under the very name of God is what He asked here. Protect them under Your name. Keep them under Your name. I mean, if prayers of a righteous man availeth much, can you imagine the prayers of Christ Himself, the perfect man, praying that we be kept? They may torture us. They may kill us. But they can never, ever take us from the safe hands of God. It cannot happen. Christ has prayed and it will be so. Let us take courage in this world. We remain in the world for a purpose. We remain in the world for a purpose. In verse 15, Jesus tells the Father something that He's not praying for. He is not asking for His disciples to be removed out of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So why wouldn't Jesus just take His disciples with Him? I mean, He's already told them, guys, it's going to be bad. You're going to have to go through a lot of misery. This world is going to hate you. 
He reiterates that in this prayer as well. That they're going to hate you. So why would he just take them out of it? I mean, we're going to be told later that, that you know, the world wasn't worthy of the disciples, especially the, the men that they became in the aftermath of the resurrection. So why not just take his friends with them so they don't have to endure? Of course, the answer is simple. They had a job to do. We saw at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus says that his work on earth is almost done. But the fact is, is that his disciples' work is just beginning. If the disciples lead, then the work of Christ is really done before it starts. Yes, he, he would still achieve the crucifixion, but the word of that, the news of that, would have died had it not been for the disciples to carry that out. If there is no one to go and bear witness of Christ's teaching and resurrection, then the full ramifications of His work would have never been known. Romans 10.14 How are they to hear without someone preaching? The disciples being taken out of the world would have been great for the disciples. But it would have been awful for the world. It would have been awful for us. Jesus then prayed in verse 13, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's it. That he's saying, man, these men have a purpose and they're to be doing they're, they're to be going into the world as I was sent by the Father, by you, Father. I'm sending them to continue that work. We have been sent and remain into the world for a purpose, and that is to love God, to love our God, and to love people, to be kind to people, to share Christ with people, and to make disciples of people. We have been, this is why we remain. This is why the disciples remain. This is why the Father leaves us in this world for this purpose. These verses introduce that familiar concept of being in but not of the world. Folks, there's a balance we are to walk as Christians. If we as Christians take ourselves out of the world and, and, and treat sinners as if they're lepers, that I can't ever be around them. Then guess what? You're not going to influence the world. That world that is so desperately sick needs the cure, and Christians have the cure as we have the gospel to give them. can't remove our influence from this world we can't live in a commune we got to go to our jobs that are in the world and we have to go and interact with the world or our influence will not be felt but on the other hand many people become one with the world not one with each other in christ but one with the world 
All of our friends are lost. We become like them to, to try to reach them. But then, when we find an opportunity to reach them, we realize we've got nothing to reach them with because we're just like them. This happens sometimes among church planners who go into a culture and their, their whole desire is to reach the culture. And so, i just got to be friends with all lost people. And they don't have any Christian friends. They don't have... And, and what happens is, is that the world pulls them down. They don't pull people out of the world. Being in, but not of the world, is, is much more complicated than we might think. To be in a world that wants to pull us down, trying to pull that same world into the truth of Christ, it's, it's complicated. And we do definitely have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we do that. However long God gives us on this earth, we are to be both holy and set apart and also good citizens that interact and love the lost people around us. That's our calling. So that's our relationship with the world. Jesus also prays that His disciples would be not men of the world, but men of the Word. First off, it's a, it's, we are to be of the Word that brings belief. Where verse 7 says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Though we know from this, the previous dialogue that the disciples don't quite fully get it. Right? There's some, they don't know, really know what's about to happen fully. But we know that they believe. God, Jesus has said this. These, these men, these 11 men have been set apart already as believers. This is what separates them. They belong to Him and the Father because they have heard the words of Christ. And they believe the words of Christ. They've believed them. They've received them and believed them that yes, yes, Christ is from the Father we believe that, and we, we believe that He has eternal life. And this is the one fact that sets the, the disciples apart. This one fact that makes them the possession of the Father and the Son. I want to ask you this morning, have you received the words of Christ concerning Himself? What the disciples saw vaguely, we clearly see in the testimony of the cross contained in the Gospels. Have you received that word? I'm not asking you, have you ever heard it? If you grew up in the South, you've heard it a hundred times or more. Maybe thousands. And I'm not even asking whether or not you kind of like the words about Christ. I'm asking you, have you ever received and truly believed in those words. That is how you know that you belong to Christ. If you can't say with certainty that you've received, that you've believed in the words of Christ this morning, don't tarry. Don't wait. Don't even wait till this sermon's done. Don't even wait till the song at the end. You can do it right now. 
Call upon Christ. Believe in Christ. And know that you are His. We're also to be of the Word that brings joy. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He desires that his prayer encourage them. There's been some speculation concerning these things in this prayer. Is this, is this meaning the whole several chapter dialogue that we just got done with and, and, and of course including this prayer? There's debate about that, but what we do know is that this includes the prayer that he's praying now, that he's, he's desiring that even in the words of this prayer that he would bring his disciples joy. He's praying this prayer with His disciples listening. And He's doing it that they may have His joy. Now sometimes I think we're, we're resistant from praying for people out loud. Someone gives us a prayer request and say, I'll put that on the list and get to that later. But Jesus seems interested in, in, in this prayer of not, yes, it's a big, but a big part of it is Him asking the Father these things. But also, there's a part of it in which he's wanting to bring joy to the disciples that are gathered around listening. So I would encourage us as a church to maybe practice a little more when someone asks for a prayer, say, can I pray with you now? And to not think about the fact that that's just not just a prayer to move God into action, but also to encourage that person that is in so need of encouragement because they wouldn't have asked for prayer if they didn't need that encouragement. So maybe we should take a lesson from Christ and, and pray out loud for people more. His desire for them, you see here, is joy. It's also encouraging that Jesus is not just telling them that, hey, torture and all these bad things, the world hating you, all this bad stuff is happening, going to happen to you. But no, He also wants them to know that His words and that if they hang on to His teachings and they follow His teachings, that joy, His joy, will be in them. So often we believe that the words of God are, are meant to bind us, to restrict us. Is this not Satan's oldest trick in the book? Is that not what He did when He first caused man, man to sin? He came to Adam and Eve and he, he said, oh, is God really about your good? Or does He just not want you to be like Him? And the leverage that He used to tear away from them their obedience to their God, the leverage He used was, God's not really good. He's not really good. He doesn't really want you to be happy. He doesn't really want joy for you. And the Adam and Eve, they bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. They took it into their life. And the fall of mankind happened. And the ridiculous part of it is, is that's the lie Satan is still using against us. Still coming to us and saying, oh, is, is God really about your good? Don't these commands seem restrictive? Go and live a little. Really get to know joy. No, Jesus says, my words are joy. If you'll receive my words, that's where joy comes from. 
There is no command, no restriction, no assignment handed down that is not coming from a Father who loves us and wants joy for us. Don't let Satan or anyone else separate God's goodness from His commands because that is when we fail. We're to be of the Word that brings hate. Verse 14, I've given them Your Word and and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. We would love to think that, hey, if I'm just live the Word, I obey the Word, I, I should be a pretty nice guy, right? Just living the teaching, teachings of Jesus, I should be, everybody should like me. The world should think I'm pretty great. That's what Jesus did, and the world crucified Him. The problem is with allegiance. As Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. When we are born, we serve the world. We, we want what the world wants. The, our desires are parallel with the world's desires. But in the moment that we receive the Word of Christ, when we take the Word of God into our life, we attach ourselves to a higher authority. And that is the timeless words of God. Our lives become not about pleasing people or pleasing the world, but pleasing our God. And the world will not react kindly to that. Think about the fickleness of the worldly culture. The the, the culture that keeps wanting to to come back and redefine things that have been set for thousands of years. It doesn't matter what the family's been for thousands of years. We're going to take a sledgehammer to that. It doesn't matter what what we've really considered life. It doesn't matter that even those who supported abortion used to say, well, at a certain time it becomes life. Now we're saying, no, it's... Hey, all the way to birth, it's nothing. It's not life. They, they choose to redefine it. They redefine what life is. Or what about gender that's been known scientifically for thousands of years how the gender works, but no, we're going to take a sledgehammer to that and say, no, nope, that's not going to be how it works anymore. We're going to totally change the definitions. In modern Society wants to take a sledgehammer to all that and try to rebuild it into some Frankenstein creation. But the Word of God is that thing that refuses to bend. It refuses to be disassembled. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. The Word of God will not bend. It will not conform to the world's wishes. So the world will hate it. And if we stand by it, and we love the Word, and we proclaim the Word, they'll hate us as well. But we must stand all the same. We must stand all the same. 
And it's a word that brings holiness. Verse 16, he says, They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification is that spiritual growth where we become more dependent on Christ and more like Christ. Sanctification should be a part of every Christian's life because if there is no sanctification, we are useless. We must be set apart from the world. We must be different than the world. How is this achieved? It is achieved through the study and the application of God's Word to our lives. I want to be careful here. The the goal is not just to be set apart from the world. Okay? We can create a cult that worships turnips and be separated from the world. It's not even about morality. We can be very nice people that are so much more nice than, than the rest of the world and we can kind of be set apart because, hey, you're good moral people. But our calling is for our differences from the world to be established by the truth, by the Word of God. If we apply the Word of God to our lives, our marriages should look different. Our parenting should look different. The way we run our businesses should be different. The way we work for our bosses should be different. The kindness and grace by which we show our fellow man should be different. This is why we must love and apply the Word of God so that we would be different. We would be, people would see what the gospel, the truth of, of Christ does to a person's life. So we need the word to change us, and it constant, we must constantly about, be about this. Every day, picking up the word of God and seeing what it says, and then asking, How does my life need to change in order to be sanctified by this truth? As we listen in on God's prayer for His disciples, it comes down to this, that they be men in the world, but men of the Word. We live in a world that hates God and hates His Word. Their desire is to take us down, and yet it is our purpose to reach that same world with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not an easy task. Let me ask you something. Where do you need to be more in the world? What I mean by that is how can you increase interactions with lost people to love them, to encourage them, to give them the gospel? Let me ask you this. Where do you need to be less of the world? Where do you need to be less of the world? Where, where in your life is no different than the world, that you can't shine a light in those areas because you're just like the world. Where are those areas where the words of God have not had their way with you? 
How can you be more of the Word? Maybe you need to study your Bible more. Maybe you need to pick it up on days other than Sunday. Pick it up and, and to read it and then most, most importantly of anything is to then apply it. Then ask, okay, what, how do I need to be sanctified? How do I need to grow because this verse is in the Bible? And allow that word to change you. The greatest need that the world around us has is for us to be in the world but remain untarnished by it and to remain men and women that are of the word. I ask you to please stand as our musicians come. Let's pray and you respond however God has spoken to you through his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you to be able to listen in on this prayer and just all the wonderful things that we learn from it. God, I pray that we would be living as Christ prayed for his disciples, that we would be people that are in this world, yes, but not of this world, that we would be of the word. God, that we would seek out, first off, belief in that glorious gospel, God, and then that we would apply your, all of your words to our lives, that we might influence and change and help a world that so desperately needs it. God, move in us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.